Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would remove distractions, that you would uh, open our minds uh, as a gateway to our hearts, that we might understand, as we are taught now by your Holy Spirit, remove from me anything that would be a distraction, allow each one of us here to recognize we are the priesthood of believers And those here among us who have not yet taken that step, I pray, God, you would speak kindly, softly, truthfully to them as well. May we all leave here today recognizing you brought it to pass. You said, Jesus, when we would meet in your name, you would be in the midst of us. Bring that about now. Through your word, I pray, Jesus, in your name, because you're the one who opened the door so we could know the Father. In your name, amen. 1996, way back when, Disney released the live-action remake of their uh, already famous animation film, 101 Dalmatians. It was such a huge box office success that everyone just fell in love with these cute little spotted puppies. So much so that in, uh, as the year went by, as Christmas was coming up, uh, thousands of families said that would be the perfect Christmas present, a Dalmatian puppy. And, and they, were, they ran out. They couldn't come up with enough Dalmatians for all the people that wanted them. However, about nine months after Christmas... The dog shelters throughout America were filled with these cute, less-than-one-year-old Dalmatian dogs. Why? What was going on? Well, uh, a few facts might help us understand that. First of all, little Dalmatians become really big Dalmatians, up to 70 pounds. Secondly, they need lots of exercise so they can become bored like any dog and then destructive. Thirdly, they shed year-round. Did you know that? I bet a lot of those families didn't know that. Uh, Lastly, 10% tragically are born deaf, and it's not always that apparent right away. So for those cute Dalmatian puppies to achieve their full potential in life, something was required of their owners. In a word, faithfulness. Definition, dictionary definition of faithfulness is being true to one's word, promises, and vows. In other words, you walk your talk. But we live in an era of the renegotiated contract, don't we? The I didn't sign up for this generation. Is faithfulness really that big a deal with God? It is, actually. You know why? It's part of who he is. It's, it's, it's integral to, to who God is. In Deuteronomy 7, 
Verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You know how long a thousand generations are? It's not less than 16,000 years. Today we come to the prophet Hosea who prophesied between the years 755 B.C. and 710 B.C. uh, when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. He prophesied in the northern kingdom that took the name Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. During the northern kingdom's entire history of 208 years, uh, there never was a godly king, not one. Uh, Hosea lived during the most prosperous and most wicked period of that kingdom, so Hosea prophesied to a dying culture that did not know it was dying. Does that remind you of any culture you know? He was there till the bitter end when the Assyrian uh, regime, empire to the north, took over the country in 722 B.C., and what was his message? It was a message of the necessity of faithful love. In fact, Hosea was directed by God to act out a great faithful love story. Uh, Great love expressed, great love lost, finally great love reborn. The name Hosea comes from the same Hebrew uh, root as two other famous uh, people in Scripture. Joshua... In Hebrew, Yahshua, and in Hebrew, Yeshua, Jesus. The name literally means salvation or man of salvation. So we should not come hesitantly to this book. It is literally about a faithful God and his unfaithful people but we should come running. And as we come running to Hosea, first we see this great love expressed. James Montgomery Boyce, a late senior pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia, wrote this. The prophecy of Hosea comes first in the biblical order of the minor prophets, rightly so. It is not the first of the 12 either to be written or spoken, but it is first in regard to its message being what I have called the second greatest story in the Bible. No Christian can doubt the greatest story is the story of the incarnation, life, suffering, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the story of Hosea is second precisely because it is an anticipation in pageant form of Christ's story. Some have perhaps dreamed of the great honor of being a prophet of God. And certainly in God's eternal kingdom, prophets will hold places of great honor. But on this earth, prophets have seldom been honored and often despised and hounded and hunted. On top of that, God often directed his spokesmen and women to act out a message in dramatic but odd ways. For example, God had Ezekiel lie on his left side for over a year with a list of all the sins of Israel as his blanket. But that's nothing compared to what God had Hosea do. 
He commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute. Hosea 1, verses 2 and 3, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went, took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Why did God command Hosea to do this? To have an unfaithful spouse was the worst of humiliations for any Jew, man or woman. Sexual unfaithfulness was listed as one of the mortal or death sins, sins that carried a death sentence for men or women. So why would God ask this of Hosea? Technically, it wasn't against God's law to marry a prostitute unless you were a priest. But wasn't it embarrassing, even degrading for a prophet of God to be married to such a woman? Yes, it was shameful, but God was doing this to dramatize an even darker truth. He was having Hosea act out in real life the spiritual behavior of the entire nation of Israel. In this live-action parable, Hosea was God and Gomer was Israel. God didn't have Hosea do this only to motivate Gomer to give up her unfaithfulness, but to motivate the Israelis to give up their unfaithfulness. Listen to God's heart as expressed in the, the paraphrase of Hosea 11 from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Here God is describing his love for Israel in the imagery of the love between a parent and a child. God says, when Israel was only a child, I loved him. I called out my son, called him out of Egypt. But when others called him, he ran off and left me. He worshiped the popular sex gods. He played at religion with toy gods. Still, I stuck with him. I led Ephraim, another name for Israel. I rescued him from human bondage, but he never acknowledged my help, never admitted that I was the one pulling his wagon, that I lifted him like a baby to my cheek that I bent down to feed him. But how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined like Adma, devastated like, like luckless Zeboim, two cities that were wiped off the map? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest. And so I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I'm God, not a human. I'm the Holy One. And I'm here in your very midst. Through Hosea's live drama, God was expressing his unimaginably great love. But next, we need to see great love lost in this book. Uh, think for a moment of any recent film uh, that could be categorized as a love story. The plot line is almost always the same, right? Boy meets girl, or girl meets boy. Boy loses girl, boy wins girl back. Isn't that basically the true story? 
uh, uh, or the, the truth of any love story that, that you know of. Hallmark has made billions of dollars running this over and over and over again. Who came up with this plot line? Why does the same formula still work generation after generation? I believe it's because deep inside of us, this is a great desire and need. We want to be loved, and we want to return that love. It's just how we were created. And here is that same plot line in a 2,800-year-old love story in the Bible. God is the love giver. Israel is the love receiver. God meets Israel and loves Israel. And at first, Israel loves God. But then, over time, Israel loves someone else. Who was it that stole the heart of Israel? In Hosea 2, verse 8, we read, She has not acknowledged, Israel, that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So it is this entity of Baal that stole the heart of Israel. Who is Baal? The Hebrew word means master. When the Israelites entered Canaan, they found that every piece of land had its Baal, its master or owner deity that the local people worshiped. Baal was essentially a fertility god. Therefore, central to the worship of Baal was the need of worshipers to become sexually involved in the, the temple with temple prostitutes, male and female. The belief was that by doing this, you, uh, you encourage Baal to bring fertility to your crop. And in an agrarian economy, this was essential. Now, for the Israelites, it was strictly forbidden to have anything to do with this kind of a Canaanite religious uh, worship. The first commandment says what? You shall have no other gods before or besides me. In fact, God told them that there were serious consequences for the Canaanites because of their worship of Baal. In Leviticus 18, after God describes every conceivable form of sinful, prohibited sexual behavior the Canaanites were practicing, he then tells the Israelites, for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. So what relevance does this have for us? Well, it means that there is a form of pollution in our country that's far more serious than auto emissions, toxic waste, or pesticides. It's the pollution of Baal worship. And you immediately respond, Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't know anybody who's worshiping Baal. Really? 
Messianic rabbi Jonathan Kahn, in his most recent book entitled The Return of the Gods, writes this. As much as America has driven God out of its life and waged war against his ways, as much as America has sacrificed millions of its unborn children, as much as it has called evil good and good evil, as much as it has celebrated sexual immorality, as much as it has persecuted the righteous, it is following after the god Baal, animated by the spirit of Baal. Do we realize what the consequences will be for us as a nation if we continually this, take on this blatant rebellion, this war on God? Do we realize what we could lose? If your phone dings or vibrates telling you that someone has just sent you a text, how long does it take you before you look at it? Some of you are itching to grab your phone that's been vibrating for the last five minutes right now. Uh, let's reverse that for a minute. How many times a day do you ding God? When you face a predicament, who do you go to first? God? When you have a really exciting, wonderful thing that just happened in your life, who do you text? Who do you try to communicate with first? God? If that question causes you to squirm, is it possible you've been ignoring God more than you've been communicating with him? And if that is true, do you understand what great love you've lost? What priceless friendship you've squandered? Hosea kept calling Gomer to come home. But we have no scriptural record of how Gomer responded to Hosea, to his faithful love. But can't we imagine how she might have been thinking in response? Why does he keep coming for me? He could have gotten a divorce by now. Anyone else would have kind of a man would keep trying? Why does he keep forgiving? He talks about God so much. Who is this God of my husband? Is he anything like this man? Could there be a God like that? It's not until we fully realize the size and scope of our loss that we are ready to be redeemed. Which brings us to the last and best part of this love story, great love reborn, though at great cost. We see it in chapter 3, Hosea 3, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. 
If in your spirit you listen now, this is God speaking at this point. If you listen carefully, I think you'll be able to hear God's voice crack. Love her as the Lord, meaning himself, loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. So Hosea says, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. The fact that he paid some of this ransom in silver and the rest in grain suggests he didn't have enough money. He had to pay the rest in commodities, which means he emptied his bank account to redeem his unfaithful wife. What kind of love is that? What's going on here? There are two very important things we need to notice. First, we see the supremacy of love over law. The law discouraged Hosea from doing what he was commanded by God to do. The law said he should reject, condemn, even condemn to death his wayward wife. How could God ask Hosea to disregard this law? How? God could command it because his love precedes and supersedes law. Listen to Old Testament scholar Peter Craigie. Love always precedes law. If law took preeminence, there would be no gospel in either Old or New Testament. Here, in a nutshell, in, the, in Hosea, is the gospel of love in the Old Testament. If law were the sole criterion, God could not have sent his son to redeem the world any more than Hosea could have gone to redeem Gomer. But divine love is a force that knows no bounds. Law may follow love to give structure, but it can never have preeminence. I like even better the powerful way gospel singer Elvin Slaughter records this truth in a song called Mercy Refused. Justice demanded satisfaction. The law had been broken again and again. Judgment required immediate action. Death wanted payment for sin, but mercy refused, and love took my place there on the cross where mercy took over from the judgment for grace. Mercy refused to let me die. Jesus the Lamb was crucified, though rightfully. Death wanted me. His mercy refused. This is not to say that any form of love takes preeminence over the law. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Do not love. There are certain things we are not to love. 
Do not love the world or the things in this world. Some things that the world calls love are actually evil. God did not tell Hosea to ignore the law, but to suspend it temporarily. When Hosea redeemed his wife, he said, you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. No, the law was not canceled. It was temporarily suspended. Why? So that a soul could be saved. There's a second necessary thing for us to see as well. Not only does love supersede law, but God, the faithful one, pursues us at great cost. Hosea rescued Gomer, but at great cost to himself. The ransom he paid is what would have been paid for the release of a slave. While we were enslaved by sin, God rescued us, but at great cost. While we were dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 8. A rapidly moving fire destroyed the, the apartment in Philadelphia of the home of Luz Cuevas. It was concluded the fire had killed and completely consumed her 10-day-old infant daughter, Delamar. There's no, no sign of, of anything, any skeleton, anything. Family grieved their terrible loss and stumbled forward without their newborn daughter. Six years later, Luz was invited to a child's birthday party in the neighborhood. There, a simple, small dimple on the face of a six-year-old girl triggered an overwhelming instinct in Luz. She quietly told her sister, that's my daughter. She thought quickly and took out a comb and went to the little girl and said, I think there's some gum in your hair. And she combed her hair enough to get some strands of hair and took it to the Philadelphia police to run a DNA test. And sure enough, it was her daughter, Delamar. The woman had kidnapped her, set the fire to cover her crime. But now, after six years, Luz's daughter was back in her real home. We can't really claim that we've been kidnapped by Satan, can we? Of our own free will, we chose to walk away from God. We were deceived, perhaps, by his lies, but we chose to align with him. And while we were in that stupor, Christ came searching for us. He pursued us as he's doing so right now, today, in this room. While we were away, he came because of his great love. He paid the ransom required by the law to set us free, making it possible for us to come home. Let me read to you seven promises 
found here in the prophet Hosea that God gave to Israel. He said, if you will just come home, this is what I promise to you. I'm reading this from, again, the message paraphrase of Hosea 14. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them lavishly. My anger's played out. I'll make a fresh start with Israel. He, meaning that's you, that's me, will burst into bloom like a crocus in spring. You'll put down deep oak tree roots. You'll become a forest of oaks. You'll become splendid like a giant sequoia. Your fragrance will be like a grove of cedars. Those who live near you will be blessed by you. Be blessed and prosper like golden grain. He's not just talking about Israel, friends. He's talking about us. If you've wandered away from your friendship with Jesus, it doesn't matter how long you've been gone, he can and will heal your waywardness. Yes, your unfaithfulness deeply, deeply hurt him, but he still loves you lavishly. He not only can cause new life to pulse through you, he can cause you to grow, become spiritually fruitful again, so fruitful that those around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, they'll become fruitful as well. No matter how long you have been away from home, he looks at you, he sees the dimple, he knows you belong to him. Won't you let him scoop you up in his arms right now? Bring you home where you belong. The man named Salvation is speaking to your heart right now. It's Jesus who is saying, you're to live with me many days and I will live with you. What do we need to do? Two simple steps. Confess and commit. This is the message of Hosea. This is your day to come home. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.